Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Let's get on into it, and thank you for hanging out again. You guys are the best. Grab a seat on the way down. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are the light of the world. And then turn to the person on the other side and say, I am the light of the world. Such an exciting season in our city. The harvest is truly ripe. Make sure you're as pumped about Christmas as you possibly can be. Listen, if you're gonna, look, I'm not casting dispersions, but if you're gonna put spiders all over your house for Halloween, you better flipping get Christmas lights on your house to shine the light of Jesus, okay? Look, and I'm not, there's some things I just couldn't be bothered to have an opinion on, but uh, because as you know, I have a lot of opinions. But my gosh, you better turn it all the way up for Christmas. Actually, David Macon, are you putting lights on people's houses? Okay, did Shelly reach out to you about putting lights on our house? Come on, yes. I want the red and white ones this year, or the icicle lights. Write that down, yeah. I love it, I love it. And coming from Australia, like Americans know how to celebrate like no other nation. Like if there is a a public holiday or like they're all up in it. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. So I love that. And I, I just think Christmas is the time to go all out. Christmas is not the season that you should approach thinking, how can I save money? Like, <laughs> that's the one season where, you know, just indulge a little bit. Obviously safely and respectfully and responsibly. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible, but get the lights, buy the tree, Husbands, get your wife an epic gift, like a really good one. Like, like ask the kids, like just, just follow her around like a little secret agent, just kind of, just because she will tell you by not telling you what she wants. Like you'll just see, you'll just notice, she'll drop little hints, so make sure you're around to pick up all those hints. All right, we've got, we, yes, uh, did you say ask Siri? Yeah, she pro- actually, she probably does know. She knows a lot. She knows too much. Oh, Siri. All right, I want to share a message with you this morning called The Heart of a Neighbor. It's taken from a passage of scripture in Luke chapter number 10, and it's an iconic story. Even many people who don't know, go to church know this story. It's a story about the good Samaritan, and it's Jesus actually having a conversation with a lawyer who comes to him and asks him, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, remember, at this time in the earth's history, Jesus hadn't yet died on the cross. We weren't in the New, uh, in, well, in the New Testament church, per se. The church had yet to be built. And so the people of that time had a very different idea of what it meant to live for God than you and I do. We all know it's not so much about behavior, but relationship. And, and God comes into our heart, and he changes our lives. 
But back in those days, it was all about behavior change. Can I be good enough to please God? And that's where we pick up this conversation with the good Samaritan, oh, excuse me, with this lawyer and Jesus about the good Samaritan. It says in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? I love that Jesus answers questions with questions. It, it's actually brilliant because you find more, um, uh, you find out more about people than you do if you just make a statement. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So he's, he's got a pretty good take, this lawyer. He's kind of deduced pretty well, in my opinion. And he ends with those famous words, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. So he kind of leaves him lingering like he hasn't really scratched the itch. He wants to see if this guy's hungry. Do you really want to know more? And then the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered, and I love this because Jesus answers with a story, quite like Pastor Jürgen. You ask Pastor Jürgen a question, he will answer with a story or even several stories. Depends how long you got. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw this bruised, bloody, and beaten man, he passed by on the other side. Somebody say, what the heck? Likewise, a Levite, so people from the priestly line, when they arrived at that place, came and looked, this is even worse, he's looking, and then he passes by on the other side. But then a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This is beautiful. Underline the word compassion in your Bible. So he went to him. And he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. This is, this is medical treatment that I am not familiar with. However, he poured on oil and wine and set him on his own animal, which means that this good Samaritan is now walking and letting this bruised, bloodied, and beaten Jewish man ride on his donkey. He put him on his own animal and then brought him to an inn. And then he took care of him. So he spent some time. He didn't just drop him off and say, see you later. I hope it all works out. He takes care of him. And then on the next day, somebody underlined the word or the phrase the next day, on the next day. When he departed, he took out two coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these, this is Jesus now asking a question to the lawyer, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer responded to him, the one who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. 
So this morning, my friends, I want to talk to us about what it actually looks like to go and do likewise. Because this story, it's, it's multi-principle. It's not just one principle, it's two. So the ultimate message of the story is this is who Jesus was for us. He saw us broken in our sin, robbed from. Bible tells us in John 10, 10, the thief has come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life and life in abundance. So we were the broken people on the side of the road needing rescue. It's the message of the gospel. And then Jesus poured out his, his body, his blood, uh, four hours shed, gave of himself sacrificially, and then carried us and make sure, made sure that we were cared for. And then he left and he sent the helper, the innkeeper, the Holy Ghost to look after us. And he says, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take care of everything that's in arrears, okay? So it's, it's really the message of what Jesus did for you and I. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop it with, and now this is a story about me. He says, this is a story about me. He was speaking in a parable. He was bringing revelation that they probably didn't understand. But then he says to the lawyer, now I want you to go and I want you to do likewise. So he's saying to him, I want you to be this kind of neighbor. See, the lawyer was asking who is my neighbor and Jesus was actually inferring to him, you are a neighbor. You're a good neighbor. Let's not worry about who is your neighbor. I want to ask you, the question, are you being a neighbor? What does it look to go and do likewise? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. I've just brought out three quick points, which I think are really going to help you in this next season. Because what I found in the Christmas, Thanksgiving season, is that people's hearts are so open to God. People's hearts are like freshly tilled soil. They're, they're vulnerable in, in all the most beautiful ways, you think about it, we go to even the most secular institutions right now, and they know, and they think it from a marketing money point of view, but they're playing Christmas carols. Yeah. Well, fine, let them do it to make money, but let the Lord use it to open people's hearts to the gospel. Like, pe people are ripe right now to hear a gospel message. So I really want to empower us as we go about our day and our life in this next season to be really, really great ambassadors for God. The first point that I want to bring out of this story is that this good Samaritan allowed God to interrupt his plans. He allowed God to interrupt his plans. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. We may have our entries in our day planners and we may have everything planned out. Maybe you're A-type today and you have all your plans for the week, the year, the month and definitely the day. And I think that really was the big sin of the priest and the Levite when they passed by. It was that they, had, they were task-oriented instead of allowing God to, to tug on their heart and see that what lay in front of them was the very mission that they were busy to, to go do where priests and Levites, the irony, they're walking past the very mission and mandate and assignment that God had for them on their way to do something more important. And, and listen, the Good Samaritan didn't go looking for beaten people on the side of the road. He didn't have a hopeless vagabond ministry. It, it literally, it was a divine interruption. And there are things that, that God will put in our pathway that we see 
that we just can't unsee. And it's a heart tug. And the Bible tells us that the good Samaritan's heart was moved with compassion. So the priest just walked on by. The Levite looked in and then walked on by, which is worse. But the good Samaritan feels the heart tug and then he goes over and he gives sacrificially. Look, he was on his way to do something important because that that roadway, the Jericho-Jerusalem roadway, was a roadway of commerce. He had a task. He had a list of to-dos. And God, how dare he, interrupted his day with, with a task of a different kind. And I want to tell you today, my friends, our lives will be full of those moments. And when God puts one in your pathway, don't pass by. Don't walk on by. Amen. Go on. Especially in this season. Uh, I call them divine interruptions. And God will ruin in all the best ways our best laid plans. And we see Jesus do it right throughout his ministry, don't we? So if you just even read through the book of Luke, you'll see that in Jesus preaches his first message in Luke chapter number 6. It's the the Sermon on the Mount. So he he preaches to the people. And then he's basically, let's call it, on his way home from work. He's got no particular assignment. He's on his way home from work. And then he meets a centurion who's like, hey, my servant is about to die. I'm a man who is under authority. Just speak a word, Jesus, and I know my servant will be healed. And then Jesus is moved by faith. And then he, he declares my gosh, I haven't even seen such great faith, even in all of Israel, go, your servant is healed, and his servant was healed from that very hour. It it was a distraction. Imagine if he said, "Uh, talk to the hand, because the face ain't listening. Go get the transcript from the message I just preached. I'm on my way to Denny's. He didn't, he he allowed himself to be interrupted. Then, Then the next verse, the next verse. The the widow of Nain, Jesus comes across, he's just walking through Nain. He has no real assignment or real objective other than to pass through and get home and maybe put his feet up. But then he he comes face to face with a funeral and he sees a widow who is about to bury her only son. This is a dire situation. And then the Bible says, Jesus being moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and said, boy, arise. So how beautiful is that? When death and life collide, life always wins. But again, they were stories that probably weren't meant to be in the Bible, but even Jesus allowed himself to be divinely interrupted, and he had a life-saving assignment and mission on his life. Like, he, he knew what the call and assignment on his life was, but he allowed himself to be divinely interrupted by the Lord. He allowed himself to be inconvenienced. My gosh, I tell, I tell you what, it's, it really is a tug on selfishness, I suppose, when these things happen, and it's just, it's not convenient. I remember such a time, Pastor Jürgen and I took a sabbatical for eight weeks in 2021, just so we could take a breath after the, the craziness of 2020. I mean, what the heck, 2020, how did, like, who could have ever saw that coming? Um, and we just needed eight weeks to take a breath. We, we stayed in town, and we just had a staycation, and we attended church, but we didn't preach because we just needed to, to be refreshed and restored ourselves. And so every Monday, we would go and um, just do 
like a fun date and have lunch somewhere. And so we decided that we were going to go out to a winery in Temecula called Europa. Now, I had to give my husband a lot of instructions before we went to the winery because the previous Monday, when we went out for lunch, he talked to the waitstaff the whole time. He's witnessing and telling them stories which would lead to stories which would lead to more stories. And before you know it, it's time to pick up Zoe from school. So I said to him as we're walking into Europa, I'm like, okay now, you are not allowed to sit anywhere near a television. How many wives can say amen to that, right? Okay. And you aren't to talk to other people, you're to talk to me. This is all about me and us, really me, but us. And I said, look, it's pretty busy, and to, to help you out, Jürgen, I'm gonna sit us at the end of the bar, and I'm gonna put you on the very end, so you've got no one next to you, so that means if you want to talk to someone, you only are allowed, you only get to talk to me, because I'm the only person, all right. So, so I had planned my ways. I had the to-do list and the task list of how this was gonna look. But how many people know that God loves to mess those things up a little bit? And so Jürgen at this point is scared of me. He doesn't, he's, he's like, oh, okay, yes, master, like, yes. And, and anyway, the, the, the bartender lady walks over and she says, um, can I get you some lunch? Would you like a glass of wine? That kind of thing. And, um, and so I go to answer because, again, Jürgen is mute, afraid to speak. And I said, yes, absolutely, here's what we'd like. And she goes, oh, my gosh, you're Australian. I said, yes, yes, we are. Well, actually, we're American, but we have some residue by a means of the accent. And um, she said, oh, wow, well, what, are you, what made you move here? And it's always the question. You just know it's going to unlock a whole lot of other questions. But again, I can't blame Jürgen because he's, he's like that monkey emoji with his hand over his mouth on the other side. So I said, well, actually, we're pastors of a church. And I just see her countenance change. And she went from bright and bubbly to kind of like, I just saw this sadness and this sorrow wash over her. And I said, oh, is everything okay? And she said, oh, my, my brother's a pastor, but, you know, he's, he's not a pastor. Well, he doesn't seem to have the same spirit as you guys. You seem joyful and happy and, you know, pleasant. I said, oh, what do you mean? And she said, well, um, my, my son actually passed away four months ago from a drug overdose. And um, my brother, who's a pastor, called me and said to me, your son's in hell um, because not only was he an addict, he also was gay. And, um, and then, uh, like Jürgen and I, couldn't believe the story that we were hearing. And I, I am, of course, feel immediately guilty that I've told him to shut up the whole time because <laughs> clearly this is a divine interruption sent only by the Lord. And then I look at him and I kind of give him the nod and he's like, springs into action. <laughs> and he grabs a hand and her name's Tammy. And he goes, Tammy. He goes, did your son ever, I just, I'm just hearing from, from, from God. Did your son go to kids church when he was a young boy? She's like, yes, yes. Did, did he hear the gospel message? Yes, yes. Did he, did he invite Jesus into his heart? Yes, yes, when he was four or five. And he goes, hmm, okay, so tell me this. What does John 3.16 say? And she goes, well, I think it says, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in, and Jürgen stopped and goes, what? Are you sure it doesn't say for whosoever should behave in him? She's like, oh, I don't think so. I think it says believe in him. And he goes, are you sure? Are you sure it doesn't say whosoever behaves in him shall, shall have eternal life? She goes, no, no, I'm pretty sure it's believe. And he goes, exactly. Your son wasn't saved by his behaving. He was saved by his believing. And he said, God sent us here today and gave us a divine interruption as much as my wife tried to shut it down because he sent us here today to tell you your son isn't in hell, he's in heaven with Jesus. I'm telling you, imagine if I didn't allow myself to be divinely interrupted. You know what I've found? Those things, you know, they happen quite often, but, but they don't happen often enough. So, so I just think let's surrender to them when they do. I can't tell you how many times I get my hair blow dried a lot because that's the one area that I'm not like an American. I do not know how to do my own hair. I, I don't. I, it's, if my hair is ever bad, it's because I have done it. So I like to get um, like my hair blow dried every now and then. And especially when I travel, and I, if I'm preaching to travel, just so they're not like, who is this feral woman standing in front of us? <laughs> so I remember going to, to get my hair done uh, once. I believe it was New Zealand or Australia. And I was sitting down. I was just excited to have time to myself. You know when you're like, I'm so glad that I'm going to be around a stranger because we don't have to talk. I can just ignore them. I can, you know, read things on my phone, carry on. And all of a sudden, this woman, she just starts. She just starts. And immediately, I'm like, I'm trying everything I can to, you know, to, to not give in, to kind of like one-word answers, like, like, like I want to send out the vibe that I'm not interested, um, that I really just want to see it and have my hair done. But then eventually, like, the, she just is unstoppable. <laughs> and the question she's asking, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I... I I'm actually the priest or the Levite in this situation. I am actually the designated helper in this scenario. I can't pass by. God sat me in this chair, so I just gave up. I put the phone down. I'm like, let me answer all your questions. And I just gave in to the Lord. So, so we're going to be, we're, gonna, we're in a season right now where I believe the divine interruptions are going to ramp up. So I'm, I'm really just preaching to get you ready. I'm preaching to get you ready. <laughs> I remember another story when we lived in Australia. Um, it was the year 2000, and the city that we lived in, the city of Sydney, was hosting the Olympics. And Aussies are obsessed with sports, especially the Olympics, because we're usually so good at swimming. It's our one chance to beat the Americans. Doesn't always work out. But um, we'd bought a new television, and I couldn't wait to, to watch the opening ceremony. But unbeknownst to me, my husband, <laughs> was on the phone to a telecommunications company um, trying to set up a, a phone line for, for our new home. And while he's just having a regular chat that should be just about phone-related things, he gets into a deep and meaningful conversation with the representative that he's talking to on the phone. And then he finds out she's just freshly divorced. She's in her mid-50s. She feels like just completely, like, just... She's been ground into the dust by the experience. And so my husband, unbeknownst to me, says, well, listen, I'm a pastor. Where do you live? 
And she says, well, I live in Queensland, which is a different state. Okay, we're in New South Wales, she's in Queensland. She goes, well, if you're ever in, ever in Sydney, I want you to come, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna give you, like you have my number, here it is, you let me know. So I know none of this. Anyway, opening night of the Olympics, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> The Telstra operator that my husband had had a conversation with on the phone is there because my husband had invited her to spend Olympics opening night with us in our house. Never met her before. I open up the door to this middle-aged woman kind of looking like she had the weight of the world. Hi, I met your husband on the phone. She'd, she'd flown an hour and a half to be in the present because he allowed himself to be divinely interrupted. And I've realized his divine interruptions also become mine. So I should just surrender to it. The amazing thing is she did come to church with us the next day. She gave her life to the Lord and went back and got plugged into a friend's church in her home state. <laughs> Only Jesus. This is just so amazing. Look, look at the harvest that can happen. It's just, it's little things. Oh, and it did present an inconvenience. Just like for this, this man, this good Samaritan, he had to use his own oil. He had to use his own wine. He had to put the, this man on the back of his own donkey and, and walk beside him like a hired hand. It'll cost us. It costs us something to be divinely interrupted. But can I tell you, the cost is worth it because we purchased something that money can't buy and that souls added to the kingdom of God. We're in a divine season, my friends. Let us allow God to interrupt our plans. Can I, can I take it a little bit more shallow, but also deep at the same time? So you may not, look, Pastor Jürgen is a, a radical evangelist. I, not all of us are gonna have this level of faith or, or courage or boldness, I'm just gonna be honest. But we all have neighbors. And I um. There's a culture in Australia that I, I think we really need to bring here. And that is that we make friends with our neighbors. We, we know, who, or at least we try to make friends with our neighbors. I had a neighbor seven years ago, she was literally Jezebel. And no matter what we tried, she wouldn't break through. So we ended up moving, so she's somebody else's mission field now. But we did what we could while we had the chance. So I'm, not, I'm not saying that every neighbor, it's gonna be like hit the jackpot, they're added to the kingdom. Like sometimes it's just, it's just like faith to not get into physical fights with them. I understand. <laughs> so many years ago, when we lived in Australia, um, I moved in actually next to a woman who I didn't really know, but she also attended the same church that I attended. And we got to know each other really quickly. And she was one of those beautiful moms of three kids, beautiful but really messy. You know, her kids were always running around with no shoes on and feral, scraggedy hair and, you know, like just wild and you'd walk into a house and it was wild and um we we came from a culture and we'd had we had the kind of relationship where we would actually just walk into each other's houses I mean you don't do that in Texas okay because you will get shot um <laughs> just in case I have any online listeners but I, I had borrowed something from her and I thought oh, well, I'm just going to go walk it back and again in, in this time in Australia, people didn't really lock their doors. So I just walked in the back door and she wasn't home. So I left what I had borrowed on her dining table. Then I looked around and it was, you know, look, it wasn't terrible, but it, the house was messy. It was the beginning of the school year. She had three little babies and her husband traveled a lot for work. So I thought, 
I'm going to clean a house. I'm just going to, I've got nothing to do today. I'm going to clean up for, for my friend Deb. And uh, so I, I did. I made the beds, put some washing on, washed up, put the cups away, tidied up some toys, and, and left it looking pretty good. Then I got home and I started to get really nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's probably really intrusive. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't offend her because, you know, sometimes you can do that and people get offended. Like, what are you trying to say, that I'm a gross pig? And I wasn't trying to do any of that. I was just trying to help. And so I'm a bit nervous. Like, what's she going to think? Anyway, later that afternoon, I hear her open my back door. And she comes in. She's got a bunch of flowers and tears in her eyes. She's like, Leanne, you cleaned my house? And I'm like, yes. Is, is that OK? She's like, oh my gosh. She said, not only did you clean my house, you healed my heart. Because she said, the neighbor that lived in this rental property that Jürgen and I were possessing at the time before you also went to the church. And she used to always judge me for the fact that my kids were always running around screaming and had dirty faces and no shoes and, you know, that I, I wasn't terribly organized and there was always washing to be done. And she said, you never judged me. You just came in and helped me. And she said, I, I just want to, I want to thank you. And, just little things like that. Like, how can we be a good neighbor to somebody? Not in a judgmental way. You know, there's so much about our world right now that many people want to point fingers in judgment, but they have the power to change it. To Don't judge people. Show them. I don't need to judge you for this, that, or the other thing. I just need to show you through my actions, you know, like, this is... This is we can do this together. This is how easy this is. And honestly, that, that changes somebody's life more than one of the greatest, you know, even then like night of Christmas, which is going to be spectacular. But I'm telling you, this is, the, this is the real stuff. This is the nitty gritty that truly transforms people's lives. If we can look over the fence, not with eyes of judgment, but with eyes of I am here to help and I am a servant of all. What, what I love about Jesus is that the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter number two that Jesus made himself of no reputation. Even so far as becoming a slave, a bond slave. Very interesting wording. He basically gave up his own will to fulfill the will of the Father. Probably one of the greatest blights in the last pre-COVID season and one of the greatest criticisms about many pastors was they had become celebrities instead of servants. And I, I thank God that that has been divinely reversed. There's no celebrities in heaven, only good and faithful servants. We've got to make a commitment that we're not looking to elevate ourselves, but looking for ways, how can I elevate somebody else? How can I be a servant to all men? I've made a decision that I'm never going to get too big for my britches. I'm always going to open the door for people. I'm going to smile at them when they don't smile at me. I'm going to look for occasions and opportunities to love on people with the love of Christ and help them when everybody else is judging them. Amen, Leanne. All right, the second thought I want to share from this story is this. He didn't allow the injustices, injustices or life's injustices to shape how he behaved. So this good Samaritan, this is, oh, this is the, such a, Jesus intentionally triggered people. I love it. Because it was a Jewish man who was lying by the side of the road, robbed, bruised, bloody, 
broken, and it was a Samaritan who came by. Now, now don't lose the meaning of this. The Jews were horrible to the Samaritans. They wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't hang with them. In fact, if a Jew spent time with a Samaritan, they were ceremonially unclean. It was actually accepted and acceptable to treat people like second-class citizens and outcasts in that day. So you, you bet your bottom dollar when this Samaritan is walking by and on close inspection, he realizes this man here actually is a human representation of everybody who's ever hurt me in my life. He didn't walk away. Jesus said he was moved with compassion. Now, we've got to be very careful because the spirit of the world wants to get us to look at things that are shallow and bow our knee to cultural prejudices to group us in, well, you know, men against women, women against men, black against white, white against black. This, this you know, belief system against that belief system. And they want to pit one another against one another. And it's wicked, and it's satanic, and it's divisive. There are only two kinds of people in the world. You ready? People who have an open heart to God, who have good hearts, and people who have shut their heart to God and rejected God and have evil in their hearts. Only two kinds. And they come in all different cultures, all different tribes, all different tongues, all different sexes, only two, but all different sexes, all different religions. And mind you, we've got to be careful, especially in this time with everything that's happening in the Middle East. There are beautiful people who are living under wicked regimes. And it's wrong to say, well, if you live in that nation, or you have that skin color, or even if you've been raised in that kind of religious atmosphere that you are evil and you are wicked. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And as Christians, we cannot be that way. This Samaritan man refused to allow the trauma of his past, with, which absolutely would have been there. And Jesus used him as the example for a reason to say, the golden rule, now don't you forget it, is not to treat other people how they've treated you. Well, you represent everybody that hurt me. You represent people that let me down. You represent people that robbed me. You represent people that rejected me. He said, no, no, don't do that. The golden rule is to treat one another how you would like to be treated. This Christmas season, can we let go of all that trash and stop playing into the devil's hands and instead look at everybody as they are, a human, a person, Let's not make shallow judgments on things that don't really matter. Let's love people, especially people like in this story who have been broken because of other people's sin. This, this man wasn't lying on the side of the road because he was having a nap or he did it to himself. He was lying there because somebody else took from him, robbed from him and beat him up. And God's going to put people like that in our path. So let's, let's discard with all the shallow external things and see a person, the person, the broken humanity that God has put in front of us. And I love this story. I, I want to share it with you because I think it, it really illustrates this so beautifully. Um, okay, it goes like this. The great African-American educated book, educator, Booker T. Washington, exemplified the beauty of a humble and forgiving spirit. One day, as Professor Washington was walking to work at work, I'm going too fast, slow down, Leanne. Was walking to work at an institute in Alabama, he happened to pass by 
the mansion of a wealthy woman. The woman who did not recognize him called out, hey you, come here, I need some wood chopped. She was a product of her culture and simply perceived him as a black man who was there to do her bidding. Without a word, Dr. Washington peeled off his jacket, picked up the ax and went to work. He not only cut a large pile of wood, he also carried the firewood into the house and arranged it neatly. He had scarcely left when a servant said to the woman, I guess you didn't recognize him, ma'am, but that was Professor Washington. Embarrassed and ashamed, the woman hurried over to the institute to apologize, and the great educator humbly replied, there's no need to apologize, madam. I'm delighted to do favors for my friends. That, that story moves me so deeply because you don't get more Christ-like than that. Not, not only was this man mistreated and disregarded and spoken down to by this woman, she also represented generations of abuse and pain. And yet his response, and yet his response, the most maturest people in the world, the most maturest Christians in the world are ones that can love people even when those same people have been unkind to them. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that none of you repays each other with evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and for all people. Think about that. And if you want a tattoo, get that one. <laughs> Amen. I need to, to wrap up. The final thought I had was this that this Good Samaritan's commitments lasted beyond emotion. This particular phrase stuck out to me so profoundly and moved me so deeply uh, when I read it in the story. It says, on the next day, on the next day, when he departed, he took out two coins, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. This man's commitment lasted beyond his emotion. So when he woke up the next day and he looked over and kind of like the emotion and the drama of last night had faded and then he looks over at this bruised and beaten man and all the scars and the bruises are there in living color and he realizes, whoa, this actually may cost me more than I wanted to pay. His heart was moved with compassion but he was kept by his word. Honestly, I think this is probably where most Christians wobble. We're moved with compassion or we're moved with emotion. We make a response because of a heart's well. But then when morning comes and the sun comes up and we see the reality of the cost of our decision, we're like, eh, change your minds, change your minds. And that's the difference between someone who makes a decision on an altar and someone who is a true disciple of Jesus. The next day, we're committed to our vows. What I said I was gonna do in the midst of the heat of that emotion, I've woken up and I am determined to fulfill my vows. <laughs> the Bible says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul speaking. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when the emotion of the moment has passed and you wake up to the reality of your decision, you gotta remember, 
You're a dead man or a dead woman walking. It's no longer you that liveth, but Christ that liveth in you and me. And here's the thing. Here's the amazing thing. The Bible says that we were crucified with Christ. And guess what? Guess who was the only one who was allowed to be resurrected? Not our old selfish self who made decisions and then didn't follow through, who made promises and then didn't keep them, who made vows that we're going to do this, that, and the other thing, and then we woke up in the morning, oh, shoot, I've changed my mind. Yeah. That, that me was crucified, and Jesus has been resurrected. That's why I don't understand it when some people say, oh, well, I used to be a Christian. I used to go to church, and then I got offended. I'm like, well, well no, because that's not how it works, because... Because you don't get a choice. <laughs> like your choices are gone. When you give your life to him, guess who's running the show? Guess who's driving the car? Oh, I got offended. Yeah, okay. So, so resurrected Christ in you didn't go, stop it. You're not allowed to be. You better get over that. When Christians say that to me and I got offended and I left church and I think I'm going to deconstruct and then become an atheist, I'm like, well, what you're saying is that you don't fulfill your vows. So <laughs> you're unfaithful. Want to have that conversation? No. Well, maybe we should. <laughs> I, I hear that stuff sometimes, and I think, it, I almost get a little bit jealous. Oh, wow. I remember when I was allowed to be offended. I think it was back in the 80s. But now, because Jesus is alive in me, and it's no longer I that liveth, I, I don't get to indulge that anymore. So the next day, and the emotion isn't there, and I may have lost that loving feeling because people in church have been mean to me, and trust me, there are a lot of mean people in church. Don't look at the person next to you. Look straight ahead, look straight ahead. <laughs> but my decision isn't based on emotion. Oh, I felt good in a moment, and that worship song moved me, and I'll give you my heart, Lord. No, I give you my life. Oh, gosh, I, I remember... Uh, when Pastor Jürgen and I moved to America in 2005. And it was exciting. We're moving to America, like the America. But then the next day, after the emotion had passed, and I moved my three little boys, and we knew nobody. We had zero friends. Uh, and we had no church. This was all just a dream in, in our hearts. I remember walking through the hills of Scripps Ranch where we were renting a home and looking out at a completely unfamiliar horizon. And I just felt so alone. And I remember thinking, I, I don't want to be here. God, this is a cost. That it's, it feels too much to pay. Like all my family's over there. My kids are crying because they miss their cousins. We were spending the summer alone. We arrived in July. We had no, no friends to be with because we had no friends. And it, it, the, cost, the, the cost and the reality of what I'd vowed in a time of emotion was now coming home to roost. And, and I felt my heart being drawn back to, to Australia. But it was amazing. The Holy Spirit came in and said, Leanne, do you remember the scripture that you read at your wedding when you got married to your man? Ruth chapter number two. Don't ask me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And nothing but death will separate the two of us. He said, you made that vow and now it's time to fulfill it. 
and I felt strength into my heart and I said, God, even if I don't feel it, even if I don't feel it, I'm going to stay because where emotion may may have led me, where compassion in the moment may have led me, my word is going to keep me. I'm telling you, we can change. We can change. Oh, can you imagine how many marriages, how different they'd look? If when the emotion passed, oh, I woke up and I looked over and I'm like, oh gosh, maybe I made a bad decision. That, that's why we make marriage vows, because they're a bridge. You know we, why we say vows when we get married? Because we need to, because there are some hard days where, where the emotion leaves and you're like, I don't like you anymore, but... I made a vow and I fulfill my vows. I keep my covenant. I keep my word. The Bible tells us in the book of John that we are most like God when we are keeping our word. In 1 John 2, 3 to 5, whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is perfected. And this is how we know we're in him. You want to know how you're in him? It's not because you have a Jesus bracelet or a fish on the back of your car. You keep your word. Oh, the emotions passed. Ooh. This is hard yakka, as we say in Australia. But I made a vow and I intend to keep it. (laughs) Amen, you guys. God bless you. We're going to have a great Christmas season. A very Merry Christmas indeed. Let's take our cues from the ultimate Good Samaritan and go and do likewise. I just know that God is going to interrupt and inconvenience you just a little bit this week with a divine purpose because there is a person attached to that inconvenience and actually an eternity that it will be saved. Amen. All right, stand to your feet. Lift your hands to God. Lord God, give us the heart of a good neighbor. Father, we know it's not about behavior. It's about surrendering our heart to you really giving you complete control. Father, we may have plans, but we declare today that it is you who will direct our steps. Father, when you inconvenience us with things that many others would pass by, let us not pass by. Father, let us be moved with compassion and let that compassion move to action and bring about a great transformation. Father, bless them all. Father, give them courage for those who need courage. Father, I pray that you fill their hearts with boldness. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Father, I thank you for those opportunities. God, you live outside of time and you're already, you're already there and you're preparing those divine moments. And Father, and just let them know that they are equipped to do whatever you're asking them to do in the moment and that you're with them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And before I, I'm going to hand back to Pastor Michael, I I want to give another plug for Leanne and Brian Yaba and the recovery, 1 p.m. Oh, this is perfect. I'm about to divinely interrupt your afternoon. So, you know, I know that that they don't have as many people currently that they need to go out and really, really make an impact. There are so many needy people out there. And I was saying to Leanne in the break, you know, the ultimate is that someone will hear the gospel and then allow themselves to be discipled and become a new person and live their best life ever. But that isn't, it isn't always the story. It's always God's intent, but it isn't always the story. And who knows, when you go out and minister those streets, you may actually be somebody's last chance. You may may hold somebody in your arms and pray with them and lead them to Jesus who may not even be here Thanksgiving Thursday. So just, just let that sober you. 
and let the Lord lead you. And then come see Leanne, 1 p.m. It's going to be powerful. El Cajon is shifting. And this is how it shifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Revival's for the church, but transformation and reformation is for the city. God, God revives us that we would go out and bring reformation into our cities. Amen. Leanne, God bless you guys. And happy Thanksgiving. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.